Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. So a few years ago, I was uh, in Cambodia, and uh, we, we had prepared to go to Cambodia, and we had thought to ourselves, um, let's, let's do several different types of outreaches. And so we had determined that one of the outreaches we would do is teach English. And in Cambodia, there's a lot of people who want to hear you speak English. They want to they hear a person who speaks English originally. They want to hear that uh, because it helps them to understand a little more, which, which I don't know why they would want to hear it from Texans or Oklahomans. Uh, because I don't know how original that is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, when I first came here, I'm not being offensive. I'm just telling you the truth. I, I didn't understand some of the language being talked and I just lived in Oklahoma. But when I came here, my assistant, Amanda, she keep, she, every time she'd get something to drink, she would say, do you want ice with that? And I'm like, what, what did you say? I said, ass. I know you're not saying what I think I'm hearing you say, Amanda. <laughs> but anyway, we, we all just have our own dialects and our own way of saying things. But the truth is, when you're speaking to someone who's got a different language, they want to hear how you say it. And so we would get up and in, in different outreach settings because there were because there were uh, uh, ministry opportunities, we would use it and kind of spread the gospel. But they invited us. While we were there, we didn't know they were going to, but they invited us to come to one of their secular universities to teach English, just to do a class. And so we decided to do it. We're like, oh, my goodness. So we thought, what are the most creative ways we could do this so it wouldn't just be a boring guy standing up and saying, you know, words that, that probably wouldn't get exactly right. And so we thought, how can we do this? And we had done very creative things. But we decided that one of the things we could do is we could go through the calendar. And we went and we, we did some of our, you know, normal teachings for English, but then we ran out of time, or, or excuse me, we had too much time left over. And so because we had all this extra time, we we're having to think on the fly, what do we do? What do we say? So we said, hey, let's go over the calendar, because that would be fun just getting them to pronounce the different names of the months and then, you know, getting them to, to understand that whole context of how we do the calendar here in, in America. And so we started doing that in January, February, March, April, man, we went through the entire calendar. And then we thought there's so much time left still. So, so we said, what do we do now? So we started talking about the holidays. And as we began to talk about the holidays in America, something kept coming up. The name Jesus. So many different holidays that we celebrate in America have to do with Jesus or have to do with, have to do with uh, the gospel. And so as we begin to talk about these different holidays and we express what these holidays were about... Then after the English teaching was over, we said, let's get in small groups, and you can ask us any questions you want, cultural questions, questions about our government, questions about our leaders, questions about anything you want to ask, and we'll just sit down and have a good cross-cultural dialogue. And so we sat down, and the first question they asked me, and I don't know if you can see, I don't know if we have the picture, but the, this was my group. Now, you notice that the majority of that group are Buddhist monks. Because a lot of 
young people in Cambodia can get their entire education paid for if they'll become a Buddhist monk for a period of time. And then once they get their education, many of them just go back to normal living. And so here I am sitting down with a group of Buddhist monks, and they ask me a challenging, overwhelming, honestly, question. And it caught me so off guard that I didn't know how to respond. Now, now, now think about it. I'm going to Cambodia to preach the gospel of Jesus, to, to teach Jesus, to talk about Jesus and how he can save you and all of this. Stuff. And, I, and, and I, so I should be ready, right? But I was not ready for this question. This group right here, the first question they asked me was, who is Jesus? Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Who is Jesus? Who, who is Jesus? Really? And my first thought was, do, do they not have any reference for who Jesus is? And, you know, they're in the 1040 window, so many of them do literally do not have any frame of reference, not religiously, not spiritually, not even historically a reference for Jesus. When they were asking me that question, who is Jesus, they literally had no clue who he was. We just kept bringing his name up, and they kept asking, who is he? And they were wondering, who is this Jesus that you keep talking about? And so here I am thinking to myself, where in the world do I start? And the reason I'm telling you this story today is because I want you to know as disciples, because remember that's who we are. We're not just Christians. We take on the name Christian because in Macedonia, when Christianity first erupted into the world in the New Testament church, they said these are people who act like little Christ. And so they called us Christians, but that wasn't what Jesus called us. Jesus called us disciples. Nothing wrong with being called a Christian. It's how we identify religiously in our culture. But the truth is, we were called to be disciples. Not people who add Christ to our life, but people who give our whole life to Christ. There's a difference. And so... It, as disciples of Jesus, our one responsibility, we just read it because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And then he gave us an assignment. What was it? Go and make disciples. So here's the thing. If we're asking God, what do you want me to do? We need to stop asking him because he's already told you. I'm going to say that again. If you're in that place where you're like, God, I don't know what to do with my life. God, I don't know, you know, what's my next step? God, how do you, you know, God is saying to you, well, let's go back to the first step as a Christian, as a disciple. Let's go back to that step first. And then once you take that step, then we can talk about any other elaborate thing you think I want to do with your life. But first, let's do what I ask you to do. And what did I ask you to do as disciples? To go and make disciples. So when I tell you this story about what happens next, I want you to understand that that is not only something you should think about, but it's something God expects of a disciple, that we should talk about him to other people. You say, well, that's not my gift. I'm not an evangelist. And I understand that. I get it. I'm not gregarious like that. I can't just walk up to somebody and tell them about Jesus. I get it. I understand. It may not be your personality. That's, that's no excuse. 
Well, you know, the Bible says there are certain gifts in it. Yeah, I understand the Bible says there are certain gifts, but the, 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 the reality of this is my gift means you're, you're really, really good at something. God's made you really, really extra good at that. But it doesn't mean that he wouldn't expect us as disciples to do what he asked us to do, even if that wasn't our strongest gift. We got to stop this mentality that I only can do what I'm gifted to do in the church. That's so silly. Sometimes there are things that need to be done that you're not gifted at that you should do. Come on, everybody. And so here I was sitting with these Cambodians, these Buddhist monks, these young men who were doing nothing but spending their whole life studying about Buddha and enlightenment and how to become enlightened and how to reach nirvana and how to become this person who is at their highest form of self. And really, Buddhism at its central component is atheism. It's, it's, it's a belief in you more than anything, a belief in an evolving of self to the point that we're all of one consciousness and all kind of a part of God. And the truth is that that is not true. And it's a deceptive religion, and it, and it, and it is very hurtful and harmful to humanity. And it's so funny how everyone will say, well, the Buddhists are so peaceful, but I've never been to a nation that was predominantly Buddhist that was not racked with war. It's deception. But that wasn't the point today. I didn't sit there and go, all right, how do I disprove Buddhism? I didn't sit there and go, all right, how do I form an effective, uh, an apologetic to be able to speak to these Buddhists and get them to understand from an educational and, 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 and institutional and instructional place that I'm right and they're wrong. Literally, honestly, you know what I did? Your pastor who studies and, and who is, is, uh, is, 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 is full of the Spirit of God and who is in the Word all the time and who, who, is, who is bold and don't, I don't care, I'll talk to anybody. You know what I did in that moment, in that situation? Inside of me, in the deep inside, I said, Jesus, help. Because I literally was thinking, what do I say? Where do I start? Do I start at Genesis and go all the way to Revelation? We ain't got that kind of time, nor, nor will I be effective in that kind of a thinking. And here's what I heard. The Holy Spirit spoke to me, and here's what he said. In my spirit, he impressed in me this. He said this. He said, David, just speak the truth. In every heart on the planet of every person that was created, I have put eternity. In every heart... Listen, in every heart, I have put a measure of faith. And when you speak the truth out of the sincerity of your heart, whether they reject it or whether they accept it, the reality is it will resonate. There's something about it that will go, that sounds right to me. We're all so busy trying to fight these fights and argue these arguments. Instead, we just need to be clear about what the truth is. And be bold enough to just say it. And then importantly, most importantly, say it in the context of love. So when they asked me the question, who is Jesus? I literally just said, because God told me, just tell them the truth. I didn't try to develop a foundation for it. I didn't try to create it from back here and bring it all the way across. I just said, he's the son of God. Now, now think about this. I said, who's, he's the son of God. And, he, and they said, that's interesting, the son of God. 
the Son of God, he's the Son of God. And I said, yes, he's the Son of God. And God, God sent him to us. And he's, he, he was from the beginning. He created all things that were created. He, everything that consists, consists in him. So I told him about the Son of God, the, the Jesus. I told him about who he was and how he related to God the Father, which they have no concept for. But here I am just telling them, acting like they would understand. And you know what they said? They said, well, what did Jesus say? It was almost like they just assumed I was telling them the truth. Hello. And I said, well, Jesus said all kinds of things. And I told them some things that Jesus said and what he came to do and why he was so important and how it could change their life. And, you know, it's, it's hard to explain to somebody why they need Jesus when they don't understand the concept of sin. And God just says, keep going, keep going, just tell them the truth. And so they said, what did you say? And I told them what Jesus said. And they said, well, how do we know that? How do we know that that's what Jesus said? And I reached into my bag and I pulled out this. Now, I didn't know how they would respond to that. I didn't know if they would say, well, prove that's from God. But when I pulled this book out, I'm not, you, you can ask the people that were standing there. I am not exaggerating. There was an, a gasp in the group. They went, oh. And because they understand honoring ancient texts. And I said, here it is. And I laid it out before them. They started, they started looking at it and touching it. Can we touch it? And I gave it to them. And they were touching it and looking at it and thumbing through it. And they said, so what do you mean? I said, well, these are words that God spoke to men so that all mankind would know what he has to say to us and reveals the plan that he has for us so that our life will be holy and, 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 and righteous in eternity and that we do not have to pay penalty of past sins, but God can save us and redeem us and get in relationship with us and make sure that our eternity is settled forever. And as I begin... <laughs> As I began to say that, they were just like, oh, that's amazing. And, and, and we were talking back and forth. And, and, and I wish it was this easy sometimes with church people. Now, I know it's not always easy with Americans who don't believe in Jesus or don't believe in Christianity or don't believe in God. I know sometimes it can be difficult in that setting, but sometimes it can be difficult with people who do. Here's literally what they said. These are the four questions they asked. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, what did Jesus say? Number three, how do we know? And then the fourth thing they asked, the fourth thing they asked, what does Jesus want us to do? Listen to me, I was, I was like, I wanted to stand up and scream like, he wants you to get saved and be baptized. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's how I felt inside. I'm like, you're just going to straight up ask me. You're just, you're just going to straight up ask me, who is he? How do we know what's he want us to do? And that's really something we're going to talk about today. Who is he? How do we know? What does he want us to do? You have the ability to open doors and stop being mystical and mysterious about kingdom purpose. 
How many believers we got in the house? Like you believe Jesus died for your sins. Raise your hand. How many of you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead so that you could have life? How many of you believe that he defeated death, hell, and the grave so you could have overcoming life? How many of you believe that you could spend eternity with God? Come on, raise your hand if you believe. How many of you believe that God can do miracles and he can change lives and he can do the impossible? How many of you believe it? Well, you should probably tell somebody. You should probably tell somebody. I heard a well-known atheist, one of the pen and teller guys, and he said something that was so profound to me, and it has convicted me every day. And he said, I really, I really don't, they said, does it bother you when people, they use the term proselyte or proselytize. Does it bother you when people try to get other people converted to Christianity? Does that bother you? He said, no, it doesn't bother me. He said, well, aren't you an atheist? He said, yes, I'm an atheist. You don't believe in God? No, I don't believe in God. And he said, but listen, that, so that doesn't bother you when people go around trying to convince other people? He said, it bothers me when they don't. And he said, why does it bother you when they don't? And he said, because it just says to me they don't really believe anything they say they believe. Because if you believed that and you believed I was going to hell and you wouldn't tell me, that's not a problem with me. That's a problem with you. Are you, are you with me? Listen, we've got to get back into this understanding of how do we open doors, how do we create this this, this opportunity to uh, disciple other people. And don't let's not get confused with evangelization and, and discipleship. Discipleship is taking somebody from wherever they are, maybe they don't know Jesus at all, and just helping them along their spiritual journey. Hey, you want to be friends? Let's connect. And then just begin to connect with them. Just begin to love them. Just begin to talk to them and ask questions of them and help them to, to, to hear your perspective and just speak the truth because in every heart there is a measure of faith. Every single person has a little bit God placed in there. Ecclesiastes says it like this, says that it was about God putting eternity in our heart. That's why we're never truly satisfied without him. That's why we're never truly convinced or, or, or truly confident in who he wants us to be or how we can be if we do not understand that he loves us, he cares for us, and that he has put a, a, a his image on us, whether we trust him, whether we give our life to him or not, his impression has been made. And we have a choice as to whether or not we'll follow. And so for us, that means just create opportunities. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine and he said, you know, we've just learned how to create opportunities to share Jesus with people. And I said, well, give me an example of that. And he said, well, you know how everybody now, you guys know, this is like a main topic, a main subject for West Texas. I mean, you know, how's the weather today? Are we, Man, we got some good weather today. Man, well, I'm so thankful that that rain we had the other night. And you know what he said? We just tweak it. We just say... Things like this, especially in their culture, which was an atheistic culture. He said, we just tweak it. We just say things like this. Man, hasn't God given us wonderful weather today? And in their culture, that's a, like, what? What did you say? You open the door 
by being who God created you to, to be. You open the door by understanding who he is and who he's made you to be and just being yourself. Stop hiding from who you are. Your friends don't hide. Your, your sinner friends, I hope y'all have some, your sinner friends do not hide who they are. It's time for you to stop melding in with them. They're not hiding, you stop hiding. Well, they won't be friends with you anymore. That's their choice. But your choice is to love them anyway. Your choice is to disciple them. If they receive it, yes. If they don't, no. But that's not your problem. Well, I like them. Well, good. Love them enough to pray for them and God will open a door for you to minister to them so they can come into the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Our perspective has to change totally to discipleship, to what it means to do what God asks us to do. Well, God said don't kill. God said don't steal. God said don't be adulterous. God said all these things. He said honor your father and mother. He said honor God. He said love God and love people. That's what God said to do. He also gave us a last commandment when he ascended to the Father, and we just read it. He said go make disciples. Everybody say go make disciples. And it's a reality that we as believers are going to have to embrace. So let's ask the questions like the monks ask me, who is Jesus? What did Jesus say? How do we know? What does Jesus want us to do? So the question then is, who is this rabbi we follow? This relationship we have with Jesus is relational. And he tells us to relate to the, to the Father as Father. And he is our elder brother, the Bible tells us in Hebrews. But we also need to relate to him as teacher. Because that's how this all started. That's what discipleship is about. It's about a relationship between a teacher and a student. And by the way, when we make disciples, we're not trying to make a relationship between a student and a teacher, the teacher being us. We're trying to make a connection to a student and the teacher. It's not about the importance of who we are or how much we know. It's about, can I get them into a relationship with Jesus? Because he is our rabbi. He is our teacher. If we're his disciples and we're making disciples for his kingdom, then we need to know him. We don't just need to know about him. We need to know him. We need to know who he is. We need to know what he teaches. And we need to be conformed into the image and obey his commands. And do it all because of the love that exists between us. So what is the, quest, the third question, how do we know? Well, I love what Adrian Rogers, a great teacher who has since passed away, he said this, the Bible is a supernatural, spiritual, sovereign, surviving, sustaining, supercharged book about our Savior. You want to know more about Jesus. You want to live this life. You want to take that step into full commitment to him. It starts right here. It starts right here. This is not something you do, little bitty. I got to do a little devotion, do a little time with. Got to make sure I do my little time. No, this is something you 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 study. Paul told Timothy, "Don't do." It. He didn't say, "Hey, Timothy, do a little devotion for your for for the sake of uh, being you know a pastor." He said, "No." He said, study to show yourself approved, a good workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. You say, well, that's for occupational pastors. No, that's for believers. Because you got it backwards and we've made you get it backwards. It's not about you coming and watch us be spiritual. I hope you do understand that we live the life we preach. I hope you do understand that, that I don't get up here and talk about things and then not live that way. 
I do. I, I, I follow God. I'm not perfect and I make mistakes, but man, I do my best to follow the Holy Spirit and do what God's asked me to do. I want to be a credible leader. I'm not one of those guys who just wants to be a show and then do, do whatever, you know, some other way, some other time. Listen, I want to be real. But I, in order to be real, and in order for you to understand I believe in this, then I have to give you the full of it. I can't give you part of it. And, and, and I can't teach you that, hey, it's about you coming and hearing from me. Oh, I love it that you come and hear from me. And it's very important that you come and hear from me or anybody who we say God, God leads us to put up on this stage. But the truth is, here's the truth. The truth is, if all you're getting is what you hear when you come here, you're not getting enough. If you were to come every single week, and let's just say it's one hour. Our services are an hour and a half. But if we were to say it's one hour, if you were to come every single week, every week of the year, which we know you're at least going to take vacations, but we know in our culture today that's not happening. And it should happen, but it's not happening. But if you were to do that, if you were to say I'm coming every week of the year, do you know how many hours that would be? 52 hours. How many hours do you work in a week? A minimum of about what? 40. So 12 hours you spend in worship to God or in the Bible more than how much you work a week. Go read the statistics on binging Netflix and find out that it's 1,200 and some odd hours in a year. And go read the statistics on social media and how much we spend on that. I'm not trying to put a guilt on you. I'm trying to get us to understand if we're really going to be those disciples that make a difference in someone else's life, we're going to start making a priority out of this book, this Bible that I can dig in. Well, I don't understand everything about it. This is why you need to be discipled. This is why you need to get with somebody who can teach you. This is why you can get with somebody who can help you grow and help you learn and help you be inspired. But, 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 but that's, that, that's what discipleship is for. That's what it's about. We've got to get in this book. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, the New Testament is filled with accounts of miracles that Jesus performed during the course of his ministry. Scientific mistrust of the Bible began with the enlightenment belief that miracles cannot be reconciled to a modern, rational view of the world. Armed with this presupposition, scholars turned to the Bible and said the biblical accounts can't be reliable because they contain descriptions of miracles. The premise behind such a claim is science has proven that there is no such thing as miracles. But embedded in such a statement is a leap of faith itself. It's, it is one thing to say that science is only equipped to test for natural causes and cannot speak to any others. It is excuse me, quite another to insist that science proves that no other causes could possibly exist. So this attack on the Bible may not be the whole truth, nothing but the truth, is based on, listen, based on a postulation that says because we don't believe in the supernatural and the Bible talks about the supernatural, then the Bible can't be real. Does anybody have a problem with that? That is someone telling you not to think for yourself or not to get a revelation for God or not to understand that, come on, God can do things that are impossible. But that theory and idea also thinks this way, that God could not have created the heavens and the earth. That must have happened naturally. 
And everything, it's this idea. Now listen, I'm not trying to get in an argument with anybody, but it's this idea. Come on, it's this idea that I want you to believe in this whole process that is not supernatural or big, but I want you to base all the foundation of that process on one huge miracle, the big boom, the big bang. And I'm just like somebody else. Like I believe, I believe in, in, in that, G, that there was a big bang. I believe that Jesus stood out on nothing, looked over nothing, and said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. Now you say, but we've been socialized to think, and we've been taught, and we've been educated, and maybe sometimes too much so. I think sometimes we look at, we we forget what Romans 1 says, that professing themselves to be wise, they have become fools, because we have resisted the reality of who God is and what he can do. Come on, are y'all with me? C.S. Lewis said, you must make your choice. Speaking of Jesus, either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And basically what C.S. Lewis is saying is, you cannot look at Jesus as a whole and all he did and all he said and say he's just a good human teacher or he was just a good prophet in a religion. No, Jesus is either who he says or he's crazy. And if you follow a human teacher that says the things and does the things he did without believing he is who he says he is, you're a lunatic. Nancy Piercy said this way, having a Christian worldview means being utterly convinced that biblical principles are not only true, but also work better in the grit and grime of the real world. Charles Coulson said this, he said, we must be the same person in private and in public. Only the Christian worldview gives us the basis for this kind of integrity. So who is Jesus? We must not view him as the world does, but as those of his kingdom do. I'm challenging you. I'm asking you. I'm trying to inspire you and encourage you as believers, as disciples, as people who walk after and to and for and in Christ. Listen, I'm asking you. Stop listening to the world and the ways of the world, and the spirit of the world as to how you should think about Jesus or about his church or about his kingdom or about all of that, that has no bearing on us. That has no bearing on our faith or our belief or our confidence. Do I believe Jesus created everything? Yes. Why do I believe it? Because I know him. And because he has inspired me by his word and he has told me by his word. And if you look at things logically and if you look at things from a different perspective, a creation perspective or a spiritual perspective or a biblical perspective, you see the reality of what exists in the world today. And let's just ask a very simple question of the world today. How did we get to this relativistic place where we say your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and the chaos that has proceeded from that idea How did we get here if it's real? How did we get here if it's true? How is there such confusion? How is there such hurt? How is there such abuse? How is there such ignorance? How is there such 
resistance to good if what the world has to say is true and what God has to say is not. Somebody, are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? we got to stop listening to the world. Did you know the Apostle John told us to not love the world? Now, now listen to me. He said, don't love the world. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said love the world. Yeah, we should love the people of the world. But we should not love the spirit of this world. Because the spirit of this world is who the world's father is. And Jesus told us who the world's father is. He said, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> Everybody just looks at me so funny. Listen, this is the Bible. Study the Bible. The truth of the Bible will change your thinking. It will change your heart. It will renew your mind. John said, don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world or the spirit of the world or this worldly age because it's these three things. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And what do we see being manifest in an overarching sense in our culture today? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Don't love it. Love the people in it and pull them out of it. And this is what the Bible said about us in Galatians. Paul said, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are he and she who have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. So come out rejoicing and say, I no longer am deceived. I'm no longer covered by deception. I'm no longer under the curse of the law and the curse of sin. I am now under the blessing of the king and his kingdom. And I will live for it and I will believe it and I will communicate it and I will give it because that is who God created me to be and I refuse to see the world through the filter of the world but I absolutely commit to see the world through the filter of his word so who is Jesus and I close with the, with this first John 1 or excuse me first John 4 15, it says, whoever confesses and acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. If you're getting baptized, you can go ahead and step out and go get prepared. He, he is the Son of God. Now remember, he's claiming to be the Son of God. Everybody focus on me. They're going to be all right. They'll make it. The Son of God. He's claiming this person who wrote this actually knew him personally, like physically. Jesus was his best friend. And whoever confesses and acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, you have to understand the Son of God, it just means the Trinity. It just means that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God. They function in three persons. And Jesus is classified as the Son, but don't get it twisted. Jesus didn't begin when he was born of Mary. Jesus was there when all things were created. In other words, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit stand outside of time. They stand outside of eternity. They stand outside of all created things. Why? Because they are in control of it all. They are absolutely, He, God, is just immense and unbelievably amazing. But Jesus 
communicates very clearly that in the beginning, or John communicates about Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things that were made by Him, all things that were created were made by Him, and in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shone in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. But it says in the 14th verse of that chapter, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself unbosomed himself and gave himself to mankind to be humiliated as man, to be humiliated, to be minimized, and to be sacrificed. So the penalty you and I should have to pay, we do not have to pay if we believe in him. Acts 4.11 says, This Jesus is the stone which was despised and rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. He's saying to the Jewish community at the time that rejected Jesus, you threw him away. You thought he wasn't a good stone. You thought he wasn't the cornerstone, but he is the cornerstone. And all of us, as we believe on him, are built. Our life is built upon that cornerstone. We are in alignment with that cornerstone, so our life stays square with God. John 9, 5 and Amplified says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is Jesus speaking, giving guidance through my word and works. And as he ascended to heaven, he gave us that job. He said, Now you are the light of the world. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the light, the, the world has and always has been dark. Sin has darkened the world. Sin has caused the world not to progress, but to digress. We look at, look, look at all the progress. Yeah, look at all the progress, really. Look at all the pro- progress through the lens of morality. Look at all the progress through the lens of righteousness. Look at all the progress through the lens of justice and holiness. Oh, I know we've technologically progressed. But can you honestly look at our culture and even your own life and say, this is progress? John 8, 58 said, Jesus replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That was his confession that I am the I am. I am the self-existent God. John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his own life down for the sheep. John 14, 5 through 6, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where, you, where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, listen, for those who claim and claim and claim that Jesus never, ever said he was deity or that he was ever the Son of God or that he was ever God, let me just tell you right here, Jesus said to him, I am the only way to God and the real truth and the real life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we're told all of these things about what can get you to heaven and that there are multiple paths and you can go from this direction or that direction, it doesn't really matter if you believe in Jesus. All of that is a lie. He said himself, I am the way. I am the truth. There are other religions that say we know the path. There are other religions that say we can show you the way. Jesus is the only one Because he didn't come here to create a religion. He came here to build a relationship. And he said, I don't have to tell you where the path is because I'm the path. And you're not getting to God except through me. The world either denies Jesus 
or sees him as something that is less than who he is. How do you see him? Our role as disciples is to teach others who he is and to share what he did and what he wants to do. So my question to us today before we baptize these wonderful people who have made this decision to say Jesus is Lord. What is our perspective today? Is it a disciple's perspective? Are we seeing the world, the spirit of the age, people, situations, circumstances, and even persecution through the eyes of Jesus, our teacher? Or through the eyes of our carnal nature reacting instead of responding? Let us mature and develop and change and renew at the hands of God, His Holy Spirit, as we receive His blessing and as we face the difficulties of the world we live in. The answer isn't argue. The answer isn't even apologetics. The answer isn't even instructional or educational. The answer is revelation. The answer is knowing who you are and who God created you to be and actually sharing that with someone else. That's the answer. Well, how can that change everything? Because we are about changing one person at a time. One soul is worth all of eternity. One friend going to heaven is worth all of eternity. One neighbor, one family member, one individual. It's worth, and if we begin to share our life and the gospel of Jesus Christ with others in that lifestyle context, listen, it will change our families, it will change our neighborhoods, it will change our community, and it will change our world. Let's bring a little bit of the kingdom of God right down onto this planet by being the disciples that God called us to be and making disciples like God called us to do. Amen. Jesus, who is he? He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last. He is the I am that I am. He is Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Nisi and Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Ra and Jehovah Roy and Jehovah, Jehovah Sidkenu. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. He is the provider. He is the king of all kings and judge of of all judges and Lord of all lords and master of all masters. He is the eternal one who stands outside of eternity and creates and makes. He not only creates, but all things consist in him. He is God and it is out with, uh, without equivocation that he says so. And I'm just telling you today, somebody like that, somebody like that loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.